everybody and welcome to Cabaret Secrets. My name's Gary Williams and today I'm joined by my friend Mark Halliday. Hi Mark. Good afternoon. Welcome to Cabaret Secrets. Now we met, I always forget how long ago, but we were doing the Rat Pack show together. I was Frank and you were Dean. Can you remember how long ago? 2008. Was it 2008, quite possibly? Which means we must be at least 27 now. We're at least. Thank God it's only a podcast. <laughs> um, I know you're a singer, you're an actor... You dance a bit as well. Where, where did you train? Uh, well, actually, funnily enough, I didn't train. Um, I can believe you. <laughs> you've seen me work. Um, I, when I was sort of 21, um, I was working for a publishing company in Manchester selling advertising space. And uh, one of, I was looking after a team of 25 people at the time, and one of my reps wanted the afternoon off to go to an audition. And uh, I thought he was just pulling my leg trying to get out of work. So I said, OK, I'll come with you. Um, and he went, okay, so I went with him and it was at the Palace Theatre in Manchester and we walked in the front doors and there was all of these boys with their legs behind their heads going, oh, I'm so stiff and um, the, guy, the guy I was with uh, lost his bottle he just said, I, I can't do it, I can't do it and I said, well, what were you going to do? he said, I was going to sing this and I knew the song so in true salesman mode I basically rocked up there and said, oh, listen, I've, I've just heard about the audition uh, my agent couldn't get it is there any chance you could see me? And they said, yes, okay, we'll see you. So I walked into this audition, and no idea what it was for, with a piece of music in my hand that I hadn't rehearsed, but I'd, I'd, I'd sang years ago, um, and uh, sang the song. And um, there's a guy behind the desk running the auditions, and he said, so Mark, uh, who's your agent? And I said, oh, I don't actually have an agent. And they went, right, so you're dressed completely inappropriately, your song is completely inappropriate, uh, and you don't have an agent. I went, yeah, that's basically it. He said, yeah, we'll be in touch. Thanks very much. So I left and I thought, nobody's going to know I've done that. It was just a little thing for me and I had some fun. It's not going to come to anything. And then two days later, I got a phone call from this chap who says, hello, my name is Chris Davis. My partner saw your audition. We'd like to represent you. And then uh, six weeks later, I was doing me and my girl in Lincoln. And that's how it started. <laughs> that's a fantastic story. Yeah. That sounds like you made the whole thing up, but yeah. it's true. That's it's a true story. Absolutely. It's a true story, yeah. And that, so you didn't, tr I mean, so you must have, you were singing in what, amateur dramatics or some youth theatre or something? Yeah, like? when I was a kid, uh, I, I joined uh, an amateur dramatic society in Northerly Edge, um, up north called Scamps. And uh, I went there because my friends pr promised me that there were some beautiful girls there, and they weren't wrong. And, uh, and then I, I got the bug for it, and I loved it, and I loved singing, and I loved being part of the company. Um, but never really thought I'd go on to do it professionally. So when I did get the opportunity to do it professionally, I grabbed it with both hands. I watched the lead performers, you know, the, 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 the lead actors in the show. I went to dance classes. I went to singing lessons. This so is once you'd got... Me and my girl. This is once you got the job. Yeah. And but I mean, did you have to? Were you faced with that terrible decision of thinking, I'm going to have to quit my day job to and and go in both feet into this new showbiz thing, or could you keep that door open? Because it seems an awful risk to take from zero to being in a show and quitting your job. Absolutely. Well, the wonderful thing was my boss at the time, a wonderful man called Gordon Warrender. Um, he, when I went into him and said, "Oh, by the way, I'm 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 leaving," he got very cross because he thought I'd been headhunted by another company. Um, just to, to kind of give you the background, I was 21 years old running a team of 25 people and uh, the next year they were planning to increase the size of my team to 50 people so they invested a lot of time and effort in me from me being 17 years old. Uh, so when I said I was leaving they thought I was going to another company so when I said I'm going to go be an actor, after he'd stopped laughing at me, hmm. uh, he said how long is this job? I said oh it's, it's two months and he said fine, I'm going to give you a sabbatical for two months. Go get it out of your system and then come back and we'll get on with some work 
So I had the door open for me. I wonder if it's still open. Maybe if it all goes wrong now, you can go back. I don't think it's open anymore. But um, when, uh, so I, I, I did the job, and about a month in, I was absolutely loving it. And then one night in the bar, there was a director and a choreographer a couple called uh, Chris Colby and David Court, um, who worked at Lincoln Theatre Royal for a while. And they collared me in the bar and they said, um, oh, we thought you were great in the show. Uh, do you fancy coming to do our show when you finish this one? Great. Yes, please. It's like a dream, yeah. right? So I went on tour with Alvin Stardust in a show called Rock Hard for six months. Straight from that one. Well, it couldn't last forever, could it? <laughs> That's great. And so, but during this time, you're spending your spare time getting better, going to class, and just improving your uh, skill set. Absolutely. I just kept learning from day one. It wasn't a case, for me, it wasn't a case of, I'm in this show, easy ride, I'm going to have fun. Mm. I was constantly watching, learning. Uh, I'd grab the choreographer to go over new steps with me. I would grab the lead actors and get them to go through the script with me. So I was constantly learning. And it's never stopped. Mm. You know, 15 years on, I'm still learning. I'm still going to classes. I'm still looking at great actors and seeing how I can improve my performance. Mm. And I know at some point you found yourself working in the production team on a cruise ship. That's right. I, uh, when I was 25, 26, I uh, went to work for Disney in the Caribbean, which was... A wonderful experience. Um, as an actor, I'd always kind of shied away from uh, the cruise industry because there was a bit of a stigma about it at the time, uh, which isn't there anymore. You know, a lot it of is, I, it's maybe a little bit. It, you think it's so? Still, I, well, I think it's definitely less and less now. But uh, certainly, when I first started doing it, yeah, that the, the it, it was just considered a bit naff to go yeah. on a cruise because you couldn't get anything decent on land. But I think that really has changed now because. The, uh, partly it's because that there are so many very talented people around. There are so few work opportunities on land. Yeah. The people in West End shows aren't leaving their jobs because they, they know that there's not really much else to do. Absolutely. So you've got really talented people that have been in West End shows before and, and you know, they're just auditioning, auditioning, nothing's happening. And th all the work is at sea now. So, uh, you know, they're, they're now going on cruise ships and thinking, well, this is all right. You know, I mean, I could be, I could, if they'd have offered me, you know, Mamma Mia tour in Australia for eight months I would have jumped at the chance so now I'm on a big cruise ship doing Chicago or Hairspray or whatever Absolutely. show for eight months I you know get a nice room I'm traveling the world I haven't got anything to pay for except the booze and having fun it's not bad right and also the, the not to take anything away from the cruise industry I think in the last 10 years entertainment on cruise industries the 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 quality has increased tenfold mm. it really has I since mean, you stopped doing it since I stopped doing it yeah <laughs> it's a big jump then. <laughs> So yeah. what was that like being in a, in a production, uh, part of a production team on, on the ship? Wonderful, because you are living, literally living in each other's pockets for two months. Literally in pockets. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm. Not literally. <laughs> <laughs> for two months while you're rehearsing in Toronto and then six months on the ship. So it's really important that you get to know each other well and that you work as a team. Um, and also I was working for Disney, so I was doing uh, a scaled-down version of uh, Hercules, the musical, which was amazing. I had the part of Hades, the, the bad guy in that, which was brilliant. And um, they'd created a new show called Morty the Magnificent, which was about a bumbling magician who Mickey gives magic to, and I got to play the magician. So I had to learn lots of magic. I had to, you know, levitate and um, all that kind of stuff and do the old uh, Houdini trick where I was um, kind of... Uh, put upside down in water I had to escape so it's a big uh, water escape so I learned loads of great skills and there was amazing sunshine 
Um, I, I, probably two of the best years of my career. Do they have guest acts on Disney? I'm not sure. I've never worked for Disney. Do they have sort of guest vocal acts? And very so few. On? Very few. And most of them are Disney related. So big stars from Broadway, Disney musicals will come on board mm. and do something. Or they like comedians. So they'll have comedians on. But interestingly, um, a show that we might talk about a little bit later on called Viva Voce was on Disney this summer. Oh, really? You're, yeah. This is a show that you created. Yeah. So you... Did you work at Disney then? You know, you're back on land doing whatever we meet while we're doing the Rat Pack show. Um, and I know that we were talking, when we first met, we were talking, you were talking to me about wanting to do a show of your own, be it a guest act, a solo guest act yeah. on cruise ships. And we talked about that a lot. And eventually you got an opportunity to work on a cruise ship. So that must have been quite a different experience, being on your own, solo with your own actor, being part of a big production team in a Disney show. Absolutely. I have to say it was a shock. It was a, it was a, it was a culture shock. You go from this complete support network, and you watch other acts that come on board the ship, and you think, I could do that. You know, I, I want the the money, I want to, the focus, I want to do this on my own. And um, I went on board. Um, oh gosh, not Royal Caribbean. What's a saga ship? Uh, yeah, I did Saga, of course. I forgot about that. I did Saga. So did the audience. Yeah. <laughs> ten minutes after that. <laughs> Absolutely. I went on uh, thinking I was the bee's knees and thinking that they, they were going to love it. Mm. Uh, and they didn't. My material wasn't as ready as it should have been. Um, my, my, my comedy, which I thought was great, people didn't really get. So, so yes, yeah, so it didn't go well. And it was a massive shock to me. And it was, a, it was a big blow to my ego that I didn't succeed in that because I'd been quite successful with most things that I'd done up until so that like point. One of those things that it looks harder than it... It, it is harder. Yeah, it looks easier than it actually is. Yeah. Um, it, but it's, it's interesting because... I'm sure, I can't remember what you were singing in your set, but I'm sure there were just standards, you yeah. know, maybe Mac the Knife or maybe, you know, stuff from yeah. Rat Packy stuff that that kind of audience is going to like. Yeah. So I'm sure on paper, you know, you think, well, how can you go wrong with that? There it is. There's a, a nice bunch of songs. But you say it didn't really... Did you... Did you what, what was it? It's, I, I mean, I'm interested. What was it that didn't seem to really gel about it? Well, uh, my lack of experience of working solo with a band didn't help because when we got on board Saga, at that point in time, they were using a lot of musicians who weren't very good. So... Um, if you go on board Royal Caribbean, you'll have an hour's rehearsal and they'll know what they're doing and you can be pretty sure that that's basically what they'll play during the show. But uh, what they actually played during that show was nothing like what was written. Mm. And so it completely threw me. So my lack of experience in that genre really let me down because I should have been able to rise above that and continue and make the most of it, but I didn't. I crumbled a little bit. So my performance suffered. My chat in between the songs wasn't as prepared as it should have been so having had the first knock from the band not being great it's it snowballs from there and it's then you sort of crumple a little bit absolutely. and you become this sort of you be instead of exuding this energy of confidence and people looking and feeling relaxed thinking wow we're in safe hands here exactly. they're looking at you thinking he seems to be sweating a bit really here he's struggling a bit and that makes them feel uncomfortable as well there's nothing worse for an audience member than looking at a stage and looking at somebody who isn't in control now with the band I always say it's all about being prepared and having yeah. the right music and, and, and being something that I learned a long time ago when I was first started working on ships was doing I, I'd been doing work on land with my musicians on land good yeah. musicians yeah 
I mean, excellent musicians, and they've been playing the charts, playing my show, no problem at all. Yeah. And then I took it onto ships, and suddenly it just wasn't working Absolutely. because the musicians at that time, as you say, were not as good. Mm. And from going, you know, from very easy rehearsals, everything sounding perfect, yeah. it's just a disaster. And there was one show that I did. It was a Nat King Cole show that they asked me to do on a ship, a sort of an extra, an addition, right? I said, yeah, I can, I can do an extra show for you. I've got this Nat King Cole thing. I've been doing it on land. You know, as a rehearsal, it's normally yeah. an hour, an hour and a half or something. Three days. No. Three days. We kept coming back to it, and it was still terrible. Mm. And after that, I, d I never took those charts on a ship again. And I had I took the songs on, but I had them rearranged much more simply. And a good tip for anybody listening, Absolutely. if they're working with an arranger, is make sure your arranger's not trying to... As arrangers sometimes do, they try and get a bit clever and put clever things in and show yeah. off a bit and, and and they want people to go wow this is a great arrangement that was a good challenge to play we don't want any of that we want no. dead simple something that's dead easy to play anybody can play but the really good musicians can embellish it and add something to it and make Absolutely. it really sing off the page but if they're not good musicians that they can still just get through it because it's not you've got an hour an hour and a half or something to rehearse a whole show it's it's a big ask of any band actually isn't it and we it's our job to make it as easy as possible for them. Exactly. There are so many responsibilities you have when you go on board ship as a solo entertainer. You have to not only let um, the stage manager and the cruise director feel comfortable as soon as you walk on that you know exactly what you're doing. You have to let your audience know exactly what you're doing, but you also have to let the band know that you are completely in control. And actually, um, not saying this because you're sitting here, you are absolutely the best person to watch for this. Nobody controls a band like Gary Williams. It's a joy Tazar. Tazar guns. That's the secret. Is <laughs> that what it is? Underneath their seats. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I press a button. I'm like Dr. Evil. <laughs> but the wonderful thing about watching a Gary show, which I've seen a million of, because obviously I'm a big fan of my old pal, um, is that every time in between songs, uh, he does wonderful chat, and then seamlessly you will set the tempo yourself going into the next song. Uh, rather than relying on an MD to set a tempo. Um, and I think that if you can get as much knowledge about your music and about the tempos that you want, and if you can actually lead a band like that, that's going to make the band's life a lot easier. It, and it, it comes from experience, you know. As yeah. I'm not a musician and I, don't, I can't read music, but I know my charts, I know my yeah. songs, and I know where the tricky bits are, which I'll have them spend a bit more time on rehearsing. But I've found that, you know... I, over the, I mean, I've been singing some, sometimes, it's the same songs I've been singing for 20 years. So, yeah. of course, I know the tempos. They're locked in my head. So it's very easy for me to come out of something that's really slow and immediately go, mm, mm, this is Mac the Knife. That's about 160 beats a minute, if anybody wants to check that. Exactly. And I know that. So I can just go straight into that. Now, the musical director has got to finish playing a piece take a breather, turn the page over, see what's coming up next, oh, it's 160, set his metronome, or press the right button, his see, get that in his head, then count the band off. Now, all that might take only four seconds, but that's four seconds of agony of, for me, while everyone's wondering what's happening next, and me going, oh, well, thank you very much. Well, <laughs> Everybody have a nice day today? Oh, here we go, what's, what's coming up next, boss? And yeah. you know, all, Agony, yeah. horrible. Yeah. So... It's one of those tiny things, and I think becoming the difference between being a good act and being a great act is it's a hundred tiny details, isn't Absolutely. it? Uh, uh, yeah. uh, like that. And also dealing with lights when you when you come on a ship, you've got to think about lighting for your show as well, right? Which in a production show, that's all taken care of. Exactly. This was another shock to me. The first ship I went on, I just expected the lights to be great because on every production I'd ever done, the lights were great because somebody else had taken care of it. This was, um, you know, another nail in my coffin, really. That that embarrassed moment I had but 
I've absolutely learned from it. You know, I, I have a lighting designer now, which actually organises my lighting plots for everything that goes on that, mm. that we do. Um, I go and watch things and I go, I like that, I like this. And how does that actually work? Talk to a lighting guy. How does that work? And mm. Well, you'd need certain things in the theatre to make mm. that happen. So, yeah, I think it... The, the, it's so difficult. If we all were born with 20 years of experience in the industry, we'd all be brilliant. Of course, you know? and, and it sounds like you did exactly the right thing. That all the textbooks say, you know, if you if you do something and you have it a bit of a knock, it's it's not it, that's not important. It's what you learn from it. Oh, and God, you, yeah. it sounds like you learn so much from that experience, that agonising experience, yeah. that, to make sure that you minimise the chance of that happening again to yourself on stage, or to any show that you're going to put together and present to a cruise line. Exactly. Um, there, I think every actor has a moment in his, in his career uh, whether you are a singer, whether you are a straight actor everybody has a moment in their career where you go wow, that was truly awful and I never want that to happen again yeah. and you will do everything in your power to make sure that that doesn't if you don't, then you deserve to fail I hear uh, a lot of guest entertainers on cruise ships who we, we fly out, we do a show, we fly back again. Uh, if they're honest and you get them, you know, chatting in the bar after a show, a lot of them will tell you that they feel that the hardest part of the job is dealing with being on their own for a yeah. lot. What about you with that? Because you're used to being in a company, in a cast of people, being around people all the time, you're a very sociable person, then suddenly you're on a ship in the middle of nowhere, you don't know anybody, the only time you're required to actually exist on that ship is once or twice a week when you're doing your show. How did you deal with that? It was hard, again and it was a culture shock because my history of cruising had been with an incredible support network of wonderful people who I was with 24 hours a day and then um, I, I didn't realise when I went on board that I was going to be so alone and that's another thing which makes your uh, which not, which can knock your confidence before you've even started the gig. Yes, yeah, yeah. If you go on board and you feel, oh God, I don't know anybody, everyone's, you know, everyone knows everybody but me but um, I mean Again, you're the expert at this. You can walk into a ship and know how to get people to talk to you. When I, when I first... It took me a long time, you know. I, I, I always used to say, years ago, say, oh, I don't like people. I was, yeah. I, was yeah, I don't want to... Why don't I meet these people for? I can't be bothered. And I could afford to do that because I didn't really need to meet people very often because I was around all my friends all the time. And, yeah. I, you know, you get... It, it's very comfortable, you know. Yeah. And so I would go on cruise ships... And I would be very lonely. I'd spend most of the time on my own. Some days, the, you know, the only conversation I'd have would be the guy that was serving me some gravy, you know, in yeah. the restaurant or yeah. something. Yeah. And it got very lonely. And I realised, and I'd say the worst thing was having done my show, and, you know, you're in a big theatre on a ship, everybody stands up, wow, fantastic American audience, everybody's going crazy for you. Literally five minutes, less than five minutes after that, you know, adulation from 800 people, I'd be in my cabin on my own, I'd sit on the bed, put CNN on, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and you go, oh, well, what am I going to do now then? Yeah. That was it. Because I didn't know anybody to hang out with, you know. It's a weird, it messes with your head, you know. Definitely. It's a weird thing. It's a difficult thing. So, of course, I fell into drug abuse and, oh, no, yeah. I'm just joking. Prostitution. <laughs> Prostitution, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but what I learned, that I thought, you know, I've got to get more sociable. I had, I had to learn to get good at socialising, but making friends quickly. Yeah. And, of course, you quickly realise, of course, that uh, usually on most ships, 
perhaps there are there is at least two or three other guest entertainers, yeah. and they're literally in the same boat. So you know that everybody wants to hang out, and usually people are nice, yeah. and so you find people, you 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 know you make friends, and you, and you you know sometimes you make some great friends that you're gonna uh, keep in touch with for the rest of your life, and and sometimes it's just people that's just nice to hang out with for the week. But whatever, it's important to find those people just for your own health and state of mind. If, if you do going to do it a lot, if it's a career move and you're going to be on ships a lot, Absolutely. you've got to. And I found so many times I'd have, have a lonely time on a ship, and then at the end of the week, I would get to know people, and I would think, oh, why on earth didn't I, you know, get, get, meet these people? five days ago because I'm getting off the ship in two yeah, days exactly. time I think exactly. next time I need to get stuck in straight away I need on the first day I need to find people yep. you know look out, look out for the other guest entertainers and say hello and introduce myself you know definitely so you ended up going back into the West End as a performer yourself we're sitting now in uh, one of the green rooms of the Jersey Boys uh, theatre right. and I've forgotten the name of the theatre the Prince Edward Theatre the Prince Edward Theatre yep. and you're in the show yes I am yeah I, I joined the show I joined the cast in March um and uh, it's it's great. Um, interestingly, I uh, I started uh, my own production company, which Gary will talk about more in a bit. But uh, a I love that years. you're talking about me in the third party. Yes, that's yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, funnily enough, I spoke to my agent um, uh, kind of Christmas time and said, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm really busy with my company, with shows going out, and and you know with cruise work, etc. Um, I don't really want to do any more shows at the moment. And he said, Well, none at all. Performing, you performing mean, in, yeah. yeah. Uh, any kind of West End stuff. And he said, Well, none at all. I said, Well, if Jersey Boys came up, I'd do that because yeah. it's a it's a great show. And lo and behold, Jersey Boys came up. You've had some good luck in your career, <laughs> haven't you? Yeah. It's nice. It's yeah. nice. Oh yeah. The, the last thing, the last thing I'd want to do, of course, is uh, is another run of the Rat Pack in the West End. Oh, yeah, no, so let's exactly. see if I get the phone call. Let, let's see right, happens yeah. um so i know we're running out of time and uh, if people can listening to this can hear various noises people are warming up next yes. door but Sorry i really must talk to you about aviva voce because at the same time you just mentioned your own production company you decided to start creating shows yourself for ships i know you had a rat pack show you had various you know three or four different yeah. shows that you put together invested an awful lot of time and money and effort into these shows and i had the good fortune and it was just pure good luck because there's so many shows out there but i happened to see one of your shows viva voce on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship a few weeks ago and honestly I was completely blown away ah, and we don't have as much time to talk about this as I would like but anybody that's been reading my blog will know that the, the huge challenge this time of the year when performing out in the Mediterranean is that so many of the ships have got such a wide range of guests on board Absolutely. and I just got off a ship I was telling you before we started doing this Mark with uh, the, the, the minority of the guests spoke English so the, the majority were Italian the next big chunk were um, uh, French uh, very few Spanish speaking, very few English, and just it's a big mixture of everybody else, and loads of kids. You, know, you walk out there, and you think, God, what am I going to? And it's hard because what I do, it's like a. I, I always say it's it's a show rather than a set. It's yeah. I'm, I'm taking them on a kind of a little journey. When the things that I say are important, but if they can't understand them, it's really hard. And I was I've been thinking for the last few weeks, how can it? What what can anybody do? What what kind of show can work to these people? And then I saw Viva Voce, and it ticked every box. And I was so proud of you. And I thought, <laughs> how did he? do that <laughs> I, I know him how did, you really did an amazing job how did you do it um, we we were desperate to get into the cruise market because it's something that I felt we could do well because we understand the difference between as you said the difference between a set and a show um, and uh, we we kind of did a little bit of research and f uh, tried to identify what the real 
target market of the cruise market is in Europe. And it's not just Brits, it's not just Americans, it's the Spanish, it's Italians, it's French. So what show could we do which could be universally liked? And we came up with the concept of Viva Voce, which is four guys, it's a pop opera crossover show. Like an Il Devo kind of thing, right? Exactly. So people can understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Four good-looking guys, nice suits, looking sharp, singing, uh, popular sort of opera-type songs. Bringing opera to the masses. Yeah, with a a little bit of Jersey Boys or a little bit of Drifters or whatever else I saw. I don't know what it was, but it was all good. A little bit of some other things to liven it up a bit and change it up, but mostly it's that sort of uh, very popular opera kind of crossover stuff. We managed to find a way in 45 minutes where we could include every possible section of the audience. Mm. If people come in and they love opera, they're going to love the music that we sing, but it is very... Uh, popular opera so people will know it from TV commercials Mm -hmm. so they won't feel left out or feel it's too highbrow Mm -hmm. and then the next minute the boys are telling jokes in between and you realise that the boys are very accessible Mm -hmm. and a couple of them speak Spanish one of them speaks Italian so they throw a little bit of that Mm -hmm. in but because we're singing opera we get the opportunity to sing in Italian in Spanish Mm -hmm. in French Mm -hmm. in English Mm -hmm. so if there are any of those denominations in the audience there is something literally for everyone Mm -hmm. You know what I'm thinking, that your background, as you told me when we first started talking, your background is is in sales. You're a salesman. And you did the thing which all good salesmen do, and that is, first of all, find out what people want to buy. There's no point in saying, here's my wonderful thing. Buy it. Come and buy it. Anybody want to buy my thing? Look at my show, you know? And people say, yeah, we don't really want what you're selling. We want this. Instead, you did it the other way around, the right way around, and you said, what is it that people want? What is in demand now? Okay, now what's in demand? It's almost, if you'd have been faced to face with the client you would have said okay if I can give you what you're telling me you want are you going to buy it and they have to say yes because if they say we want this we want that we want blah, 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 this big list very demanding list yeah. and you say well if that's what you want and they say yes that's what we want you say well if I give you exactly that are you going to buy it? They have to say yes. Exactly. And that's what you did. You yeah. put together this uh, you know, list of what was in demand and you've delivered it in Viva Voce. And what I was so impressed is that you know, there's a little bit of talking but not too much and, and yeah. there's some comedy but not too much. And you did a very clever thing in that you structured it in a way that kind of, obviously it's all about casting the right people, but you don't, you know, the kind of, I don't say anybody can do it because obviously they've got to have a high degree of talent and yeah. proficiency but a lot of people could do it it wasn't such a niche thing it wasn't as you're really asking anybody to you know well you've got to be like a comedian now and do yeah. sort of seven minutes of stand up here I think, yeah. oh god well okay I'll do my best you know yeah. it's, you've structured it in a way that most people talented people of course can, can do this thing so that the consistency of your show even if you've got two or three versions of Viva Voce out at the same time yeah. is going to be is very solid throughout uh, throughout the, uh, the the shows that you're doing. What we did was the four characters, um, the, the four different parts in the show, the four boys, the Il Devo boys, um, each of them has a different character. Um, but it's very subtle. It's not, as you say, so one minute somebody does seven minutes of stand-up. And we, uh, my company, which is Veritas Entertainment, um, we very much believe in what we call the, the, uh, the pool philosophy. So we have three guys that could do each part, which means we can put out two teams on the same night, mm. or if somebody's not available, we don't have to turn a cruise down because we've got somebody else. So we look for um, guys who fit a certain criteria. So you're a high tenor voice, uh, and it actually turns out that you, you're quite funny, you're quite lively. You're the lively one, great, so you're going to be good for that part. Mm. You're, you're more broody, more good-looking, and, and luckily you sing baritone because that's what we're looking for for the baritone. Mm. So um, we've created a show which isn't 
entirely dependent on four people being available all the time. Mm, which is very important for the, for the longevity of the show as well. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but tell me if you can, I know this is a horrible, difficult question, but any tips for people, any things, big things which you've learned, not people trying to put out another, you know, create, produce a show for cruise ships, because most of the people listening to this are, are individuals that want to, you know, get on themselves on ships or just put their own act together on, on land sure. or anywhere. Sure. Any little nuggets of advice you can think of, big things, one or two big things. We've already talked about spending time making sure the arrangements are playable for the, yeah. for the, for the band. The, the, the big picture is identify your target market. Like you said before, like you touched on before, you could spend thousands of pounds and many hours creating a product, which is really, really good. But if you don't have a market for it, there's no point. Mm. So identify your target market. And once you've identified that market, look at the competition and say, how can I do that better? Mm. And so, so that you can actually go to a potential client and say, yes, I understand you've used that in the past. So you know that that style of entertainment works, but this is why mine is better. This is why it's worth this money. This is why you should take a shot on me. And um, if you have all of all of your boxes ticked, if you are thoroughly prepared, not just with your show, but with your promotional material, promotional material, you can have the best show in the world, but if you don't have any decent promotional footage, you're not going to get any work for mm. it. And you've got to be a real grafter, because it takes time, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Don't think if you haven't made a million quid in the first six months that it's a waste of time or the show's not going to work. Perseverance is really important. And, and self-belief. You have to believe that what your product is is good. You have to believe that as soon as it gets in front of the right people, it will take off. But as you say, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And something I always think, this, and I think this applies to you know, any kind of business or even in personal life, it's a simple bit of advice, but keep your overheads low, oh, God, which yes. means that you can, you know, so that your expenses are as low as possible, just in life, just your rent, mm -hmm. your mortgage, whether you've got a car or whatever you, so, so that the amount of money that you actually need to earn to survive is as low as possible because there's bound to be a time when starting any business. I mean, most people say it takes two years for a business to start making money. Definitely. So if you liken that to creating a show, it's what it's going to be to say, let's say it's going to be two years before I actually start making any money off this. And that's if people are buying it. That's, That's a right. long, lean time. And I know a lot of my friends who are very successful production singers, as you were for Disney, and they come off a contract and say, right, I'm not going to do any more contracts on, on ships like that. I'm going to be a guest entertainer. Yeah. They start, they've got a show, they've got the talent, they're putting themselves together. But before they actually, you know, the gigs really start coming in and filling their diary, let's say six months have gone past, they've run out of money. Definitely. Things are starting to happen. People are interested, but they just simply can't afford to hang around anymore. So they have to take a contract that they don't really want to take because they've run out of money exactly there is an element of that i think with a lot of uh, production singers who come off ships they see what they want to be doing um but then as you say when they start running out of money uh, a lot of them will go oh you know what i'll just go back and do another contract get a bit more money and then come back and try again but you have to have self-belief you have to keep your overheads to a minimum and keep plugging away because if you're not plugging away you'll go on another contract and hate yourself for not taking the opportunities or not being there for the opportunities or Whilst you're running a very successful production company with shows going out all over the world, land yourself a job in the West End as well. So that's a nice that way helps. of doing it. Yes, that that's helps. That's the tip, yes. isn't it? Yeah, that's do both. my wedding, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jersey boys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Cabaret Secrets podcast. If you've got any comments or questions, please visit cabaretsecrets.com where you'll also find details of the Cabaret Secrets book, an indispensable guide on how to create your own show, travel the world, and get paid to do what you love.